Can you name that one-hit wonder? I can. Yeah, that took a while. I had to think about what's a good amputee song, you know, and those playlists don't just spring to mind. But Harvey Danger and Flagpole Sitter. And I got that line in there about being an amputee. So that gets it. Welcome. This is the Fright Club podcast. I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And we're from MadWolf.com, and that's a little clue as to what the subject is today. We're going to be talking about our favorite amputees in horror films. And we got a couple of special guests, so that's cool. We'll get to that. But first, we want to thank everybody that came out to Fright Club Live last time when we talked about the serial killers. It was super fun, and uh, thanks again, as always, to the Gateway Film Center for hosting. And by the way, Gateway Film Center just named the coolest theater in Ohio. Cosmopolitan counted down. They picked the coolest theater in every state, and of course, Gateway's going to win, so congrats. We're always happy to be there. And, and the, I think it pro- pretty well, the only real complaint we had was from Malcontent Knack-Mac. No, I'm sorry. Our good friend, <laughs> Dr. Neil, who uh, joined us, actually, the, the Fright Club before we talked about Asylums, he thought that the original Saw film... Should have made the list of serial killers. Okay. Duly noted. Not a fan, but okay. Uh, and we'll talk, maybe we can talk about that sometime because that movie has a lot of fans, and I don't think either one of us are big fans of that no, movie. No, not particularly. All right. So here we go. That's for later. Next Fright Club Live is coming up Wednesday, August the 9th. Going to be right there back at Gateway Film Center, uh, Columbus, Ohio, right there on High Street in the heart of the Ohio State University. And we're going to watch the Reflecting Skin. Yeah, the topic is wait, is that a vampire? That's our topic. All right. So all kinds of uh, things could pop up there. So uh, also we want to thank every. We've been kind of remiss. We've been uh, a while since we checked Apple Podcasts for reviews, but we finally got around to it, and we saw some nice ones. So there's some people to thank. Yeah, in particular Tom, our friend Tom, our friend Dave. They both left nice ones, but also strangers, and that's always nice to know. So thanks, BJ, and also Drew P. Well, they are our friends now. So thank you for that. And speaking of messages, we got a request on Facebook to do a countdown of the best horror of the 1950s. Yeah, way back in the day when we first started doing this, what we did, actually, to start off, we did the the best in the 60s, best 70s, best 80s, but we started in the 60s. And so somebody on Facebook suggested that we go back and do the 50s. So we'll kick that around. Yeah, I appreciate that. And if anybody else has any requests, uh, let us know, see what we can do. All right, special guests, couple of them. We have guested on their podcast before, so we're glad to have them on ours. We welcome in the B-Movie Bros, Corey and Paul. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, glad to do it, and it should be noted. I know this is audio, but you guys should see the sweet T-shirt that Paul has on. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Actually, it'll come up again later in the podcast, so maybe we'll we'll mention the T-shirt again later. But speaking <laughs> of requests, the B-Movie Bros, actually requested they came up with this topic it wasn't me wow you let somebody else you guys should feel pretty special oh we do it's it's an honor you've already had more input than i've had in what two, <laughs> <laughs> two or three years now no that's not true it's almost true it's a little true all right so we've got our own list it's top six top five we're back to fuzzy math but that can be fun actually the lists sync up pretty well so it's going to be easy to kind of go back and forth a little bit because some are, are really right in line and that's going to be good but we'll start off with uh, number six. It's from a movie from just this year, a love story set in a community of cannibals in a future dystopia. In a desert wasteland in Texas, a muscled cannibal breaks one important rule, don't play with your food. From the Bad Batch, it's the character of Arlen. All of us here, we weren't good enough. Smart enough, young enough. All the things you've done, 
put you right here with me. This here is the Bad Batch. Suki Waterhouse plays Arlen in The Bad Batch, which is the new film from Anna Lily Amapur, who we loved her first film, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Just loved that movie. And uh, on the whole, The Bad Batch is, it's, I, I liked it very much. It's not nearly as good as A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, but there, it's got some similarities, and it's not really a full-blown horror movie, to be honest with you, except the, the first act. The first act is terrifying and amazing and horrifying, and in it, our lead loses her arm and her leg to some some cannibals. And then the rest of the film is really her just sort of coping with this wasteland where she's living and just, you know, making weird decisions and finding love in uh, the wrong places and really puffy, puffy places because, damn, Jason Momoa is huge. But I thought that she was a fascinating character. And, and I, I think one of the things, in just two films in, I, one of the things I think Anna Lily Amapur does is sort of creates these really unusual outsider heroines and then their sort of search for a connection with somebody else uh, and their non-conformist lifestyle kind of fuel the entire film. And, and it does that in this film as well, although not nearly as beautifully as it does in Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. But I thought that Arlen was a fascinating character and I thought that Suki Waterhouse was just great. Yeah, I mean, when you're escaping from cannibals, missing an arm and leg on a skateboard, you know, you're pretty badass. So. Yeah, that was sweet. And this one actually is perfect for this countdown, too, because so much of it was done through practical effects. You know, lots of times the amputee stuff is done with green screen. But uh, no, I guess uh, she was very adamant about doing a lot of this with practical effects. And that I think that we're seeing a nice return in a lot of movies to practical effects. And I, th- I really appreciate that. Yeah, I think it's great, and but also I think uh, given the uh, the films that we're going to talk about, we're going to see mostly practical effects because these are mostly fairly low budget horror movies. Um, <laughs> so that's fun. But it is, uh, you know, the scene where she she makes her escape that Paul mentioned, especially given that she's pushing her way through the desert with her torso on a on a skateboard. But again, a skateboard. Does anybody do make better use of his skateboard than Anna Lily Amaport? I don't think so. Maybe the fat dog from the Rangers, uh, Rescue Rangers Down Under. <laughs> uh, rescuers Down Under, that's it. That's a close second. I mean, the fat dog. <laughs> he's getting chased by an alligator at some point or something. We know that is the first Fright yeah. Club mention of the Rescuers Down Under, so congratulations. <laughs> I mention that dog any chance I get because nobody remembers the dog on the skateboard. Like, <laughs> Love for the dog. But yeah, that the the vampire on a skateboard was such an enduring, one of the many enduring images from A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Did you guys see that movie? That was a great film. I actually didn't realize that it was by the same person. Yeah. Um, yeah that one I really liked. Um, Arlen almost made the list, but um, I I saw that film too late, and I just there's so many others that I wanted to put on the list. But that is definitely a good one and deserves a uh, mention. It's kind of funny, though, isn't it? When, when we started doing this, did you think that there would be quite so m- I did not think, of all the topics we've had, that this would be a fuzzy math topic. I didn't think that there would be six I couldn't live without. I mean, this seems niche to me. You but know, Paul, oh, yeah. Paul did a very good job coming up with our list because until today, like, my brain was frozen on amputees. And I, I came up with a list of, like, 13 amputees, like, just today. <laughs> but, like, he, he had this already mapped out. It's amazing once, like, you start thinking about it, it's like, oh, yeah, they lost a limb, too. <laughs> of course, most of them are not horror-related, but, right. you know. So you got to pare it down. Well, that's uh, our number six from The Bad Batch, Arlen, uh, and that's from just this year. All right, next up on our list of amputee horror, this one checks in at number five on our list, but number six for the B-Movie Bros list. It's a criminal on the run hiding in a circus seeking to possess the daughter of the ringmaster at any cost. 
Going back to 1927, Lon Chaney as Alonzo in The Unknown. This is a very unusual one because Alonzo was at first pretending to be an amputee, then later, spoiler, actually becomes an amputee uh, voluntarily, which is very unusual. It's um, definitely not the normal kind of like getting amputated sort of story that you see. Yeah, and this is director Todd Browning, again, who we've talked about a lot with Freaks. And apparently this was actually based on a real event from his days in the circus where a man had masqueraded as an acrobat to evade the police. Weird. Of course, Todd Browning, weird. And anytime, you know, there's Todd Browning and Sideshow Freaks, right? We're in. And Lon Chaney, uh, you know, speaking of practical effects, not that they had a lot of other kind of effects at the time, but, you know, he tied his arm up and he, you know, and, and they also had... They had all kinds of other arms and things coming out and his feet. They weren't his feet. I mean, what they managed to do with, you know, very little technology at the time to make it seem like he was used, that Lon Chaney was using his own feet to play guitar and shoot a gun and smoke a cigarette and to make it look like he didn't have hands was, is kind of fascinating. And the movie, as is very often the case with Todd Browning movies, is incredibly weird and creepy. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It was, um, it's got a very, eerie kind of vibe i think most carnival movies kind of have that yeah they do there's some there's some creepiness about the carnival and about the circus but i hope as you were mentioning that they did have a they had an armless a guy who was born armless and actually knew how to do all these things with his feet be as a body double uh, which made it look even weirder because it wasn't quite right you know it uh, didn't quite look natural because obviously it wasn't but as, as good a job as they did it still looked a little off Lon Chaney was known, obviously, primarily for the contortions that he went through and the pain that he went through for um, Phantom of the Opera. But, you know, I think, which is which is an amazing film as well, but I think that what he did and what, what Browning did to sort of make his look believable in this movie is maybe creepier because it's less, it seems more realistic. You know, as you were saying, Paul, the, the storyline is just bizarre. You know, and uh, and he's in love with Joan Crawford, who can't stand to be manhandled. He oh, she's got a terror of men's hands, which is as you're saying, you know, it was spoiler alert. But I mean, the movie came out in 1927, so if you haven't seen it yet, that's not my fault. But so it's just come it's, on, I was gonna binge watch it. <laughs> Dang. But it's just the weirdest story. It's just the weirdest story, which is the best kind of story to find in a carnival, I think. Oh, yeah, and I, Lon Chaney's expressions were amazing. Like, for the time without any sound, like, he just says so much, and he's like a look. Like, after he cuts up his arms, and um, but for the woman he loves, and then loses her, just the look of, like, just defeat and anger, like, lying below him is just perfect. Without um, any, like, sound, without any, like, actual speaking and everything, just worked so well. And I feel like only Lon Chaney could have pulled that off. Yeah, and it's weird to watch this now, and it's hard to believe that's actually Joan Crawford, because so many of her most famous roles were in speaking roles, you know, in talkies, and just, man, she was so young. It's like, I had to keep reminding myself, that's Joan Crawford. Exactly. And I think that, like, with um, Alonzo's character, he's he's very different from the way he first appears. At first, he's like, oh, this is this nice guy. He's a shoulder to cry on for this woman. And, you know, it seems like uh, Malabar, the, the strong man, was the jerk, but you find out that Alonzo was giving him bad love advice and that Malavar is actually the nice guy and this guy's Alonzo is actually a murderer slash a thief. So it was it was well told. It was definitely a unique story, to say the least. No doubt. And that's Lon Chaney as Alonzo in The Unknown, our number five and number six for 
the B-Movie Bros. And we'll move up to the next one, which is uh, moving up to our number four. But this one actually is number five on the B-Movie Bros list. So that works as well. And at number four for us, it's the Candyman, a murderous soul with a hook for a hand, is accidentally summoned to reality by a skeptic grad student researching the monster's myth from 1992, Tony Todd as the Candyman. Do I know you? No. No. But you doubted me. I'm sorry, I have to go. No need to leave yet. But I'm late. You are not content with the stories, so I was obliged to come. Be my victim. Be my victim. I am the writing on the wall, the whisper in the classroom. Without these things, I am nothing. So now I must shed innocent blood. Come with me. You have Tony Todd, who is an awesome actor in and of himself, and is in lots of a lot of low-budget things, but playing this very ferocious killer that uh, actually has kind of a tragic backstory when you think of it. In a time where it wasn't accepted as much as it is today, a black man fell in love with a white woman, and uh, he was a painter, so the town, you know, lynched him. They, they took him out into the, into the woods, they tied him to a tree, they cut off his painting hand, and they covered him in honey so bees would sting him to death. And then, you know, somehow, because of this, you know, he was reborn with a hook for a hand, you know, instead of his paintbrush to create beautiful masterpieces with paint, he had a hook to create deadly murders with blood and pointiness. <laughs> yeah, we had this, we talked about this movie, well, we've talked about it a few times, but mainly uh, the Candyman character and Tony Todd was on our list of uh, best African-American horror, and I remember getting into an interview where he talked about how important for him as an actor that backstory was, that he needed that for his character to have that, you know, art, the background is an artist and that very tragic kind of a backstory that you talk about that really fuels the character. And, of course, Tony Todd and his voice are just fantastic in this movie. Yeah, because yeah, he's also how on... How he delivers lines in everything is fantastic. It's true. He's also on our uh, our sexy villains list from back in the day, and that's mainly why. It's the, it's the way he delivers the lines. Because from, I have some issues with the, his, the character as a character. I like the uh, bees, right? That's always good. And, uh, you know, uh, a hook for a hand is always good. But, like, all of the things together, uh, I don't know. But then as soon as he talks, on paper it would never have worked for me. But as soon as he says that, you know, don't fear the pain. The pain is exquisite. I just wanted to go, okay, all right, Tony. <laughs> and this, he, he's got the trench coat, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 He, he's like an evil shaft. He's like um, he's like Dracula. He's like Dracula. If Dracula had bees flying out of his mouth, and you know, rib cage. Yeah, he's so so commanding. It's one of those roles where you think about how well or how unwell this movie might have worked with anybody else in the role because he's so perfect for it. It makes it, like you alluded to, hope a, a better movie. Yeah. Well, as you've mentioned before, Eddie Murphy wanted the role, and that would yeah. have sucked. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, they they had they had a from what I've read he doesn't he wasn't quite his his presence wasn't commanding enough 
you know, which I can understand because he's like five nine and Tony Todd is like six five or something like that. So yeah, he definitely makes it. Uh, Tony it, Todd. It would have been more like, hey guys, I'm gonna stick this hook in your eye. Like <laughs> that. That would have been Candyman if it was Eddie Murphy. Now, maybe Charlie Murphy before he passed away. Now, I could get behind that because that guy always looked like he just had murder in his eye. But this also, I mean, it it spawned, what, three sequels? It went all the way to Candyman 4 or 5. Yeah, at least four, at least four. And, and, uh, you know, the first two are good, actually. The first two are good films. And, of course, Tony Todd then did, was in the the remake of, of Night of the Living Dead and was great in that. Yeah, the, the be- in my opinion, the best remake ever. Ooh. <laughs> That's wow. strong. Type is. That's a hot take. It is. <laughs> Tony Todd has a lot to do with it. Oh yeah. Had some big shoes there to fill with Ben. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. So Candyman uh, with Tony Todd is our number four, and it's number five on the B Movie Bros list. All right. So before we move on in our top six, top five, let's go uh, the B Movie Bros, and you're up to your your number four on the list. What do you got? For our number four, we picked Shiguro. Ayama, I think that's how it, how it's pronounced, um, from Audition from 1999. And the reason why I chose him was um, largely due to his circumstance of how he became amputated. Yeah, um, yeah basically, he's a, he's a widower, he's, um, and he decides to have, a, have an audition for a movie that's actually him trying to find, a, find a, um, a new wife. And he finds one, and, well, turns out she's psychotic, and ends up, spoiler, amputating his legs with a piano wire, I think it was. Mm. And, yeah, it's, you. he's kind of, what he did was sleazy, so you kind of know he's going to get his in the end. But the way it happens is like, oh, well, this is over the top. Like, it's, <laughs> it's not, it doesn't really, like, yeah, he was sleazy and he was kind of misogynistic, but, like, he got his legs sawed off by a piano wire. That's like... <laughs> I, you definitely have to feel for him with that one. Well, and also, I mean, the uh, you, you find out that she has amputated the limbs of other people who have wronged her in the past before. Oh, yeah. It's kind of her, her calling card. Oh, yeah. Remember that bag that just moves in the background? You're like, what? Yeah, then eventually it's, it, it's that record producer guy that, you know, was having an affair with uh, with the bar lady. So she killed the bar lady and she, like, cut off his leg and his his tongue and his ear and his... You know, fingers, and he just kind of like crawls around the apartment in a sack. Yeah, yeah. Like as she waits for phone calls, all like creepily splayed out. And yeah, and big props to Ehi Sheena. I'm probably mispronouncing that name, but she was great. Oh yeah, she's actually I, she's I think, she's, she's one of more... my favorite villains ever. She is one of the best villains because she yeah she she hacks off limbs and body parts just left and right, and she's such a little delicate flower that you don't expect it, which is awesome. And then I, one of my favorite lines is is the the cop who is explaining. You know, they they tried to piece together the body parts and they came up with an extra ear, which was awesome. But one of the things about what she does then reminds me of years later, the film American Mary, where a uh, a med student who's kind of particularly interested in in voluntary but unusual surgeries winds up performing involuntary and unusual surgeries on the professor, the med professor who drugs her and, and rapes her. And uh, you don't know that for a long time. And he and he came close to making my list because she does very much the same thing. She just hacks off his limbs and just keeps him alive. Which so it reminded me of audition that that made me happy. Um, one of the, and I do love audition and I love uh, and and when we were first putting putting these lists together, I considered including this. But what we wound up doing was there are so many amputees that are um, 
that then go they're not really victims. They go on to be sort of the badasses of the story, which in the end, when I was when I was narrowing it down, just took my fancy more. So that's really what we narrowed in on. But there you should always watch Audition. Audition is just awesome. Oh, definitely. I think the reason why Shigeru uh, made our list was largely because he wasn't like this badass. He's just a guy looking for hit, looking for love. And yeah, he's not a great guy, but, you know, he's kind of relatable. It's like, man, yeah, he's he's not really a bad person either. And he just kind of yeah. like falls in love with the wrong woman. It's, it's kind of just like a, a tainted love tale. Oh, yeah. And it's just the idea of like looking like finding that this woman you this tiny woman who you thought was like great is now sawing your legs off. It's like, I, I just have like a, have a lot of sympathy for that. So I'm like, you know, he, he deserves a spot on our list. But it, at the same time, when she makes the argument, you only want to need for sex. Yet she was the one that initiated all of that. Cause he was like, Oh, we can go out to dinner. We can do this. We can do this. And she just kind of like took her clothes off and was like, come here. You know, I, I, I was a little off put by that, that, you know, she blamed him for the sex, but she was the initiate. I don't know if you noticed this, Corey, but she didn't seem quite right in the head, really, at all. So Yeah, she had a few problems. Although I actually think he is a much uh, sketchier character than than you do, apparently. Because I don't I mean I don't think he deserved what he got, but he's a dick. Yeah, he was definitely like I don't think Japanese The Bachelor was the right way to do this, like to (laughs) come up with the girl, but uh That's a good point, and that's a well that's a that's a great film. Just the image, really, just the image of her holding up that piano wire. Man. That is all you need, and, and that at, is uh, at the end. You you really don't know if if she's dead or not. Like it looks like you know the son broke her neck when he kicked her down the stairs, but she's still talking. Is he imagining that, or is it really happening? Right. Good question. And that is number four on the B Movie Bros list of amputee horror audition. And we'll move up to our number three. It's five friends heading to a remote cabin where the discovery of a book of the dead leads them to unwittingly summon up demons living in the nearby woods. It's the remake from 2013 of Evil Dead. You are all going to die tonight. I read a passage from that book. Oh my god! What did you do that? Yeah, the character here we're talking about is Mia, played by Jane Levy, and this is one that, man, I loved this movie, and I loved it so much more than I thought than I thought I would. Because truth be told, I'm not a, as big of a fan as the original, and especially the Evil Dead Two, as as Hope is. I don't know about you guys, but I thought this remake was awesome. I enjoyed it, but um, it's it's different from the original. It's like hard to compare them, but um, yeah, it definitely takes a lot of. Um, Goes in a very different direction. I think it was a very okay movie. It was very midline, uh, but it suffers heavily from what we like to call here title-itis, where if it had a name other than Evil Dead, it would have been a much better movie in like everybody's opinion. But because it shares that common title with you know the Sam Raimi classic, it just it gets shat on all the time because of that. But it is an okay movie in its own right. So Fetty Alvarez and Jane Levy then would go on in a couple of years later to make the outstanding Don't Breathe. And I think that uh, that in this film, you can really see sort of what kind of star power he found in her as as the sort of core strength inside a film. 
the film, which I actually also absolutely adore, and I think that it does a lot of things really right in terms of of forwarding the Evil Dead series, uh, because it basically takes almost all of the major elements from the first two and reworks them, but they still all exist. They still all exist. He just kind of patches them together in a different way, which is not that different than what Raimi did between one and two. One and two are almost the same movie, just kind of reworked in an interesting way. Uh, And then, of course, they're famous for having had at the time the most blood and gore in any film. And then, of course, he upped that. So he so the the remake has the most blood in any film and likely the most blood they'll ever have in any film, because, as you mentioned earlier, it literally rains blood. There's actually a number of amputations in this movie, but the one that that I like the best is when Mia tears her own arm off because her arm is pinned under a car and evil Mia is crawling through the mud and it's muddy now because of the blood rain is is, you know, sort of wriggling through this bloody mud toward her and she's going to have to tear rip her own arm off to get away from her. And I thought it was a great scene. I love that scene, and I love the way they shoot it. Because, man, they get right in there with sinews and snapping they bones do. and everything. So, and, and then I just think that she was, I just really do. I think that she was a great character, and I love that she started off as the one, the first one who gets possessed. So she's the one, like, down in the cellar trying to scare everybody. And at the end, she winds up being the, you know, the, the final girl, the Ash character so uh, i really like the way that they turn things around in it but i also just thought she was a great character definitely i do have to say i got to give credit to the girl at the beginning who cut her own arm off with a turkey carver though that was pretty cool yeah it was great also an excellent use of a, of a nail gun in this film and our tools our tools oh, yeah. uh countdown we mentioned the nail gun yeah i gotta be I, I guess at the risk of blasphemy here i think i like this better than any evil dead movie I know you do. I know you do. So, you know, I'll just talk about hot takes. I'll throw it out there. That's right. Well, <laughs> you don't. Know, Ramey is so three stooges with the first three films, which is just not your bag at all. And so I think that you need to be able to appreciate that to like those better. I don't need to do anything. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Now, I know that's the, uh, you know, although I thought, you know, you were talking about how you, you had the impression a lot of people shat on them. I didn't think so. I thought this movie was pretty well received, was it not? Was I am I wrong there? It was except for uh the true like this very serious Evil Dead fans. Okay. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah. It's hard to tell. It's got like middle like middle of the road kind of ratings on everything I could find. So it's like it did decent, I think. I I think a lot I but I think a lot of that might be interrupted by people who are diehard fans of the original. Uh, yeah, I could see that. I could see there being the, the, the diehard fans uh, are going to have a Problem, but you like you know you like both of them. You're a big diehard. Yeah, no, I did. I thought it was great. I loved it. All right, so let's move it on up to number two on our list of amputee horror, and this actually comes in at number three on the B Movie Bros list. After an experimental bio weapon is released, turning thousands into zombie-like creatures, it's up to a ragtag group of survivors to stop the infected and those behind its release. From 2007, Planet Terror and Rose McGowan as Cherry. They're not dead. The hell are the bodies? They're gone. They're not stopping. The hell is going on? The fish will spread all over the world. You want the story? I'll spin it for you quick. We got a face full of DC too. But the laws of science are broken. The side effect is terror. Now, the last hope for humanity rests in the hands of a few. I have no leg! I made you something. Stand. Robert Rodriguez, Planet Terror, a grindhouse feature. This is a really cool usage of um, 
of an amputated limb. I mean, if you're missing a leg, you should probably replace it. And what better way to replace it than with not only just a machine gun, but also a that has a grenade launcher attached to it. So <laughs> I, I have to give props to that choice and everything. If I lost a leg, I, I hope I replace it with something like that. That's what really got me from the trailer. I mean, just just like I was I was hooked by the the fake trailer of Machete, you know, inside these. Boy, when I first saw the trailer for this and just her with a machine gun leg, I'm okay, I'm in. You got me. It's just epically badass. It just totally is. Which is her standing there, just standing there with one of those legs as a machine gun is the coolest ever. And then of course she sits on the back of the motorcycle and just mows down everybody behind her and uh, yeah, it's and and then, you know, she's got cuz she was a pole dancer. A dancer. So she's very flexible, and so she's got some, you know, some interesting ways to maneuver herself so that she can, you know, get the shot better. It's, I mean, it's just, it's just outstanding. Yeah, and if you remember at the beginning, she's in the strip club, and she's zipping up the boot on her right leg and says, I need a dramatic change in my life. Well, a little little foreshadowing there, because that leg is going to be gone pretty soon. But as you said, replaced with a badass machine gun. And then at the very end, you know, it gets upgraded even more. It's It's a Gatling gun. After, you know, in the epilogue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, an M16 wasn't enough. We, we had to get it up to the uh, up to the minigun. Yeah, so not only was she able to take an amputation and work, make it work in her favor, she also managed to make her skills as a go-go dancer work in her favor, too. So that definitely takes a lot of skill. Yeah, and this was one we talk about being well-received or not. I remember being, we saw this in the theater with the, you know, the double feature before they split them up, and... We were really surprised and disappointed how much of a bomb this was. Yeah, because it, it was a great experience. It was a great cinematic experience just because of the way that they put it all together. And it was a great, you know, idea for Grindhouse or B-movie, you know, fans. But uh, like nine people saw it. Like nine people went to the theater to see that movie. I'm still disappointed that, that Werewolf Women of the SS starring Nicolas Cage as Fu Manchu has yet to be released. I know. I mean, all of those. I mean, obviously, as, as I said, they made uh, Machete, which, boy, that that trailer was just just glorious but yeah Fu Manchu and the the werewolf women was great as well I'm kind of surprised too they didn't make it and Thanksgiving I mean I'm o- I'm always up for a good Thanksgiving horror movie you know I have to settle for Thanksgiving every year <laughs> but that was all part of the like like Hope was saying all part of the experience of that movie and it was a, a shame that it just didn't really resonate with as many people as as we'd hoped because we we loved the whole thing even though yeah disappointed in death proof but as for the whole film experience i was i was all into it oh yeah planet terror was definitely the superior of them but um yeah i'm glad they make, made at least a few of them i'm still hoping don't become something but i <laughs> don't think they'll ever get to it don't you <laughs> nice <laughs> so that's number two on our list number three for the b-movie bros planet terror from 2007 Moving it up to your list, we're getting close to the top. Let's go to number two for you guys. What do you think? So for number two, um, comes from uh, one of my top five movies of all time, Dr. Carl Hill, played by um, David, David Gale, Gale in, uh, in Reanimator from 1985. Science Experiments Gone Awry, as Jeffrey Combs' Dr. Herbert West, is trying to reanimate the dead and further his mentor's progress towards staving off and reversing death and uh, he makes the the mistake of killing one of his professors and reanimating him into um dead evil dr carl hill as opposed to regular evil dr carl hill and in killing him he decapitates him and he reanimates not only carl's 
head, but his body as well. So they function together yet separately. So reanimated, he is an amputee with that can use his head and his body separately. He's also a super genius. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and call shenanigans on this because it's that's not that's a decapitation. It's not an amputation. But I like this movie so well that, you know, and I'm being polite because you're guests. So. An, an amputation is a limb that has been removed. The head is technically a limb. Plus, he technically got all his limbs removed. So, I mean. Yeah, he did. He did have his arms and his legs ripped off at the end of the film. Don't let. Plus, they were removed from his head. So. Oh, wait. They, no, they were, they exploded. I yeah, they, they, there's a big boom but, again. But, hey, I mean. I thought um, doc, um, Dr. Hill was, like, such a great antagonist to um, Herbert West. He's, in a way, the complete opposite, whereas Herbert West is, like, obsessed with doing science for the sake of science and doesn't really care about how he looks in public or any social standing. All Dr. Hill cares about is his social standing and what people like, whether people like him or find him attractive or in his reputation. And it all comes together after he literally loses his head and he just can manipulate all these dead beings into doing whatever he wants. And it's just, it was so, it was so well made and only David Dale could have done that. Not to mention his amputated head tries to give head to Barbara Crampton. Right. Uh, I think that's probably the scene that most people remember the most. But I think what I always liked about about those two, and really everybody is studying at Miskatonic, which by the way is the two t-shirt we were talking about earlier, is that uh, they're not just bad scientists, they're really bad doctors. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I wouldn't want them doing an operation on me or anyone I knew. I'm just still trying to get to the fact that the head is a limb. Is that right? No, it's it's not. There, no. This is just, again, it's just all, all manner of bullshit. But we're letting it go because they're guests. But he lost his arm and leg in it. So, I mean, technic- I mean, he technically lost more than one limb if you count his head being his main body. So, but no, but I mean, see, That's your guy's list. So you can put way, anything you want to on it. That's fine. Either way, it's a great film. And... Dr. Hill is such a great antagonist. Like, he's so uptight during so many scenes. Um, There's one great scene where Herbert West is breaking uh, pencils and he just snaps at him. And it's like, this is a guy who's waiting to snap, like, at any moment. And then when he finally, like, um, when he finally, like, literally loses his head, he, like, um, he just snaps and he loses it all. He loses it completely and just becomes, like, this monster. It's, It's fantastic. Okay, so technically, a, a limb is an extremity that is jointed or prehensile. So technically, the head is not a limb. However, the neck could technically qualify as a limb. <laughs> We're really forcing it. But... We are. We are. <laughs> and suddenly, this became a medical podcast. But that's all right. No, like we said, that's that's your that's your list. So that's cool. And that's number two on the B Movie Bros. David Gale from Reanimator. Some of their favorite amputee horror. And what's nice about this whole thing, though, regardless of what and what isn't a limb, is that we agree for number one. Coming in at number one on both of our lists, it's the lone survivor of an onslaught of flesh-possessing spirits holding up in a cabin with a group of strangers when the demons continue their attack from 87, Ash and Evil Dead 2. Four years ago, in this quiet forest, in this cozy cabin, something happened. Something so frightening. Something so deadly. Something so evil. We prayed it would never happen again. Swallow your soul! 
dead, two dead by dawn. This is actually the reason for this entire entire podcast. This is the reason for this topic. And it's not even, as I said, my topic. These guys messaged us on Twitter and said, hey, what if we count down amputees? I'm thinking of Ash. And I thought, if, yes, let's totally do that. Oh, yeah. Always a good good um, idea to talk about the Evil Dead 2 and Ash Williams. Not only the movie Evil Dead 2, but he, Ashley Williams is the star of movies, video games, TV series, comic series, and I'm sure there's some like regular novels out there as well. All kinds of props for the machine gun, but but that chainsaw, that is that's fucking killer. Oh yeah, I feel like Ash Williams is basically like the patron saint of amputee horror. He like he's the poster child of every of every time you think of somebody losing a limb in a horror film and just becoming the main like the main hero of the story. Oh yeah, for and sure. Then, and it was actually it was funny because they only came back to this movie because right after um, the first Evil Dead, Sam Raimi did a movie called Crime Wave that bombed, and it was because it bombed that he went back to Evil Dead to do Evil Dead Two. Well, thank God and he they did. Had to do it different because they they didn't own the rights to Evil Dead anymore, so that's why they they redid the intro to the movie and then kind of continued the story from after you know he would be possessed. Right with the evil de- or the evil ash and the evil ash hand and and uh, I mean the scene where he beats himself up with that with that evil ash hand. I mean there are so many scenes in this movie they're just priceless and um, and it's one of the rare it's one of the rare sequels that's that's better than the original uh, and a lot of that has to do of course with budget and and the that he got rid of the unibrow that was a big deal for me but also the chainsaw for an arm became really an iconic image and it was certainly it was a huge part of the third movie and it's a giant part of the tv show it's like his once he was evil ash because you know in the first movie which i love he's kind of milk toasty you know what i mean like he's just sort of a good wholesome guy and then by the second one you get to see uh when he's evil ash how much more fun a character he can be. And then he just sort of takes on a lot of those characteristics for the entire rest of, as you said, like the whole franchise, everything that they do. But I think that the biggest step forward in his character as a badass was actually his amputation. Well, and not only that, I mean, you go from the first movie to the second movie, he goes from this, you know, scrawny little kid to this, like, chiseled man. Yeah, like, the moment he puts that chainsaw on, he is Ash Williams, you know, Killer of the Deadites and, you know, the Evil Dead. And I remember, like, the marketing campaign for Evil Dead Hail to the King, which was a game on the uh, the PlayStation 1 and the Sega Dreamcast, where this guy goes to the hospital, he gets his hand cut off, and he gets a chainsaw attached to it, but the chainsaw is too heavy, so he then gets a, a hedge trimmer attached to it. And he's outside, <laughs> like, cutting his hedges with his, with his hedge trimmer hand. Sorry, dude, there's only one Ash Williams. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, and that is a agreement on number one for our amputee horror from Evil Dead 2. That's Ash Williams. So, all right, what do you think? We want to settle this uh, limb versus head thing or any comments on the uh, any of these movies we talked about? Keep it coming. We love to keep the conversation going. We are at Mad Wolf on Twitter. That's M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. And you guys, where are you on social media? You can follow us on Twitter at Bros, or I have my personal Twitter handle at Paul. And we also have a Facebook fades, facebook.com dash bmoviebros, or our website, bmoviebros.com. Plenty of different ways to you to, for you to bro down with the B movie bros. Oh, it's fun. I, I've, I've got some uh, some shout outs here to some some honorary amputees in in media that that we didn't talk about. Some horror, some not. If I can just run through my list real quick, is that no. is that cool? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, go ahead. Damn it. <laughs> 
first off, I have RoboCop because you know he he lost a bunch of limbs when he we when he went into that warehouse and got shot up. Um, then he was rebuilt. Um, Doctor Claw from Inspector Gadget, of course, <laughs> one of the most diabolical <laughs> amputees of all time. You know, I love Doctor Claw. Well, I said some of them not horror. No, I um, love but then him. Again, I mean, the sequel does star French Stewart, and that's pretty horrifying in and of itself. <laughs> um, Captain Hook is is an amputee. Going with the, the debate here, the Headless Horseman is probably one of the most prolific amputees in all of horror. Um, and he's just been reiterated so many different ways and so many different times. And come on, how much more horrific can you get than I'm gonna, Christopher Walken? I'm going to give you a pass on that. Not so much for the Christopher Walken, but for the Scooby-Doo episode. It's one of my all-time favorite <laughs> Scooby-Doo episodes. Um, from The Walking Dead on the TV show, Herschel, in the comics, Rick with his missing hand. Um, from Combat, the second movie, Annihilation, and the video game series, Jax, who has his bionic arms. You've got uh, Max from Plaga Zombie Mutant Zone. Um, oh, he gets, yeah. He gets his arm ripped off. It's the um, movie made in South America, wasn't it? Uh, somewhere Spanish-speaking. Um, Darth Vader is an amputee. Yes. Uh, and so is Luke, yeah. yeah. Uh, Long John Silver. Furiosa from Mad Max Fury Road. All-time greatest. Yeah. Best ever. Yes. Coolest. I'm going to grow uh, up to be Furiosa. From the X-Men, uh, the character Forge. And uh, from the original Marvel Zombies comic series, Marvel Zombies 2, T'Challa, the Black Panther. Um, zombie Ant-Man actually keeps him, like, locked up in a chamber and, like, slowly cuts off his limbs to eat them to keep himself sane. Wow. T'Challa ends up escaping. And uh, I think it's by Marvel Zombies 4 or 5, actually, like, ends the zombie plague well, in the Marvel Universe. Zombie Ant-Man's jerk, man. That's not... That's messed up. Yeah, yeah that's rough. Yeah, but I mean, but yeah, he he slowly amputated limbs to like feed himself so he wouldn't go insane. That's the list of amputees that I, I literally thought of today. I'm like, oh wait, that's an amputee. So is he. So is he. And so is she. <laughs> there, was, there's plenty of them, obviously, and some of those I have never even heard of. I'll, I'll give you that. But yeah, there's plenty out there. So this is a salute to the all-around group of uh, wonderful amputees. We appreciate you uh, joining us as always. That's some good stuff. You brought it. We love being on. We appreciate you having us. Thanks again. So next time we're going to be live again at Gateway Film Center with The Reflecting Skin. It is, if you haven't seen it, you need to come out and see it. It's the most glorious, gorgeous, bizarre, really, truly beautiful looking movie. So come watch it with us on August 9th. And that'll be the next edition of Fright Club Live. Uh, And until then, we hope to hear from you on social media. And I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Fright Club Podcast. Take it away, guys. Stay frightful, my friends. I'm not sick, but I'm not well.